What's up, everybody? How you doing? And welcome back to another episode of Living Life Intently. I'm your host, Lee Frazier, and it has been a while since we did one of these podcasts, eight or nine months, something like that. Thank you to everybody who has been listening in the meantime, the new subscribers, all that sort of stuff. Um, I really appreciate that you guys actually still listen to these podcasts, even though we haven't put one out in a while. But um, yeah, as I mentioned in the previous five to 10 minute little clip I uploaded before this podcast, I want to take this this season is what I'm calling it into a little bit of a different direction, similar, but a little bit deeper into the why people do what they want to do. And I'm really excited to bring you some upcoming interviews with some amazing people here in Atlantic Canada. On today's podcast, I sat down with a friend of mine, Joy Stanley, who actually came down to ask me to model for some of her jewelry. Uh, she is a local fly fishing guide and metalsmith. And after we did a little photo op, we sat down, had some beers and chatted, got to know one another a little better. She she did actually a little interview on me. Um, and then we discussed a few topics that are near and dear to our hearts. So I really hope that you guys enjoy this podcast. Uh, this one was more or less knocking off the rust and having fun. Uh, the future episodes will be kind of a little bit more dive uh, or a deeper dive into the whys. But I hope you guys enjoy it. And if you have any suggestions or want to hear any topics discussed, please, please, please email me at livelifeintense at gmail.com or find me at livelifeintense on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or at Lee Frazier Official on Instagram. Let me know and we'll see you on the next episode. Peace. So we are here. This is the first, um, yeah, I was going to say pogey chips, but it's not pogey chips. No. This is, uh, living, not yet. What the, I don't even know, living life intently. Wow. Yeah. First episode in like ye- six months Yeah. since I got really annoyed at uh, the fact that I had to call people over FaceTime and record it and I was just getting really pissed off. So now that we can get back into the swing of things and plus you came down and we we're doing some photo shoots as modeling for, yeah. your, for your uh, jewelry line and we're drinking beer right now. Yeah. So cheers. Cheers. Okay, so why don't you set it off by giving a little introduction, then we'll go from there. Sure. Still trying to get into the, the flow of yeah, how things work. Yeah, for sure. So <laughs> my name is Joya Nakoya, and I live in Bidek. I'm a metalsmith and a fly fishing guide. I'm also an accountant in my daily job. My my passion project, I guess, is um, metal and mayflies. So I make outdoor-inspired jewelry with um, centered around my life outdoors and fly fishing and just skateboarding in general. Yeah. How's that going? It's good. It's yeah. been kind of a crazy year. It's kind of a COVID project, really. It's that's what gave me the time to really start and decide, all right, let's actually give this a shot. So I started it in January. It's been about a year now that I've started it, but I really only started selling around, I don't know, in the spring sometime. So yeah. I feel like it's starting to gain a little bit of momentum. It's kind of a different thing. People are always interested because it's unique and it's, it's something you don't see all the time, especially... In Cape Breton, there's not a whole lot of, of female fly fishing guides around. So it's been an interesting project. Oh, man. Excuse me. I'm burping already. It's big spruce. Look at you. <laughs> yeah. I find that's a, a lot of people have done the, the, the COVID thing. So there's a guy, um, Jeremy, who runs this company called um, uh, Iron Gold Knives. At a oh, prospect. I do know. I've been talking to him a little oh, bit. Oh, really? Yeah. I got one of his knives over there. Do you really? Yeah. yeah. So I messaged him in the spring. I think he put up, if anybody's here, uh, got your hand, your, your hand on your phone, phone in your hand, whatever, um, at iron gull knives, I believe. I think it's all one word. Um, he's from prospect, which is outside Halifax. And, uh, 
I reached out to him because I've been wanting to get a custom knife done for a long time. And we set up a time. We, we chatted on the phone. And then uh, he was going... We're, we're basically talking about how... Um, it's a whole process of ordering a knife, doing custom runs, that sort of stuff, how it's going to work, deposit, and blah, blah, blah. And then we ended up uh, chatting because my dad owned the saw, or owns a sawmill. We have like a big inventory of... Um, that's really loud. Can you hear that? Sorry for people. This is a kettle going on in the background. That's all Tea ways for no one. <laughs> anyway, so... Um, yeah, the joys of doing it in the house. Yeah. Middle of a house, big old house. Anyways, so yeah, we reached out, we talked about it. He found out that we had a sawmill, and he was talking about, um, he used these, uh, the blades, the saw blades, because they're hardened steel. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, do you have any of these blades? Maybe we can do a deal. I go, do I have any of these blades? Two days later, I sent him a picture. There's literally a room with like 24 five-foot diameter saw blades that are just like not being, they're old, old, old things that are just retired. Um, so we have a lot of them. Uh, and we tried to connect throughout the summer uh, to bring things up, but I just got too busy. Yeah. So I ended up dropping off one to him in, shit, I'm going to say, I don't know, October, maybe September, October. I dropped it off to him. And, uh, and then when I got back from BC a couple of weeks ago, um, he was sent out a mailing letter, I guess to everybody, like he mm-hmm. does his own knives every once in a while and puts out a list online. So if you're looking for custom knives every month or two months or six weeks or whatever it is, he sends out uh, an email with a uh, four or five knives on it. Excuse me. Yeah. So I ended up buying one on there and uh and then he's doing a custom one for me in the spring that's so cool or whenever out of the saw blade from my dad's sawmill which was like one of the blades that almost killed people because it there's a story behind that one it was all mangled because uh uh somebody was messing around uh in the mill and it caught a bunch of steel and like threw because the the old blades in those old sawmills are the big round ones Mm -hmm. and they have teeth that are put on the actual saw the actual blade um with these keys so you can replace the teeth and get new teeth right uh so uh, you can continue to use them anyways it it like threw all the teeth there's like holes all through the ceiling all through the steel roofing in the mill and i always wanted because in the winter time we'd be working in there in the summer when it's raining it's always dripping down and that's what that was from oh my god <laughs> yeah. it's funny that you said that i was just talking to him actually i wanted to order a knife from him they're really cool. And yeah. like, that's kind of how I got into metalsmithing too, is because my dad started to build some knives. So he'd do the same thing. He'd get old blades or old tools. And like, he built himself his own little forge. It was really cool. Interesting. So when it fires up, it's like, has a little propane tank by it. And yeah. then he'll like heat up this little piece of steel and do a hatchet or a knife. It's pretty cool. And that's yeah. kind of what sparked my interest of doing different things with metal it's pretty interesting so your dad got you into it yeah my dad got into it and then i was like oh i, I could make stuff out of metal too but i didn't really <laughs> want to be like making hatchets and stuff i thought like jewelry is kind of more a little bit more i don't know expressive <laughs> you could wear it and you know it's neat there's some cool things and where, where did you outsource all the stuff so all the materials you order it in or do you kind of recycle stuff i do a little bit of both mostly ordering recycled from the states so like most of the stones and silver all that comes from the u.s like the midwest so it's expensive because you have to pay duty on everything and then the exchange the exchange rate is terrible so it's kind yeah. of an expensive thing to get into and it's an expensive thing to sell so, so you can't can you not buy any of those stones here or is it certain specific ones that are down there it it's most, uh, you can get them in Canada, but most of the mines, like any of the turquoise mines, or yeah. the 
gems like would all be mostly in the States. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah but, but it is a big thing from, if I think about it, it's kind of like that whole area, that whole region. It is. Yeah. It's more like that style. Yeah. That's like the old, uh, you get the old like, uh, models. That's what I've envisioned. Like these old, like, you know, the, it's the kind of like gray beard, yeah. very well groomed, but they're always wearing like the bracelets with the yeah. turquoise in it. Like the turquoise, yeah. It's like very <laughs> native American too. There's cause there's so many different tribes in that region that turquoise is very much a, a, like an expressive, like cultural piece that you'll see a lot of old, like native Americans wearing. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. So, it, it, so mostly what we're doing today, we're, uh, she's designed a new, um, why don't you tell them? Yeah. yeah. Me butchering it. Well, you tell them. No, it's so I made <laughs> these new necklaces. They're, the forks necklaces so we're, we're in marguerite now and the forks is a pool at the in the marguerite river yeah so i made as you know obviously um so i made these necklaces that are split like i saw a little river through it and split it so it looks like the river map and um you can stamp the initials in the back so it's kind of my attempt at a more like masculine jewelry line so yeah, we came up here today and strapped one on Lee and took some pictures. <laughs> yeah, in front of my burn, which is yeah. now becoming like the the photo op yeah. uh, thing. It was funny because I did like, we did all of our like online merch and I was trying to find like a backdrop. Yeah. But also like dealing with, and when we were doing the photos, it was like a lot of harsh light and, um, and just fine because we're not using the studio. I want to be more outside. And I was like, decided my house, but the light was too much and too many shadows. And yeah. then I ended up over the burn and then it worked and we used it all. Um, and then I noticed like after, I'm not saying that we were the trend star, but I'm just saying I just noticed afterwards that a lot of brands were doing the same thing. It was just like easy backdrop, no more studio stuff, just yeah. kind of like random. Yeah. Borton Batten siding is like yeah. in shortage now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I clad my burn and like Borton Batten. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, but what you did, yeah, you did the old stuff. So that was the original like board that I salvaged off the old burn that used to be there last year, this time last year, actually okay. when I tore it down. And then, um, I was trying to do something that burn, we built it in June mm -hmm. and there was no doors on it for the entire summer. Cause I was like, no, nah, I'll deal with it. I'll get, I don't know what I want to do. Um, but anyways, I'm glad you used it as a yeah. little backdrop. Yeah. Good. There we go. We'll see how they, <laughs> how they turn out. Yeah. But I mean, so you, and you do a lot of stuff. So the majority of your stuff, has it been with the stones or is it? Yeah, most of it is with stones. And I think that kind of makes it a little bit more of a feminine look. So this was more like these necklaces are obviously don't have stones. So they're more dark and have a masculine vibe. So I'm hoping that now more men will start wearing them. And I don't know, there's, especially in the fly fishing space, it's, it's easy to have men that are into it because it's kind of a male dominated sport. So yeah. I'm hoping that maybe, maybe it'll catch on. <laughs> But Jimmy's on to something when he, when he came up with that idea. <laughs> I know. I use them as like a, uh, I guess like a throwing bar, dartboard for ideas. Yeah. You just like hang out. Um, yeah, we hang out. And and for those of you wondering who the hell we're talking about, it's uh, another local guide. Um, he's originally from Denmark. So a good friend. And um, yeah, I just kind of like throw ideas at him and we yeah. chat about things. And then he had, brings a completely other, other perspective to things, which I think is... Uh, is a good thing because sometimes you end up getting stuck like in, um, I guess for lack of a better term, echo chamber within your mm -hmm. own mind. Yeah. Yeah, for sure you do. And like, I kind of thought, Oh no, like no men are going to want to wear jewelry. But you're like, no, they would like, just try it. See what happens. <laughs> like, all right, yeah. I not? mean, it all depends on what it, it like. 
like I said, when I was, I was trying to find my other stuff around here because I've got like a bracelet that was made by um, a company called Clocks and Colors in Toronto, which was like their sister company to uh, Vitaly. I don't know if you ever heard of Vitaly or whatever. They were like, they became very popular probably like better part of 10 years ago and they marketed by giving products to uh, like DJs. Oh, stuff, cool. Right? So they got in the, so the Vitaly stuff was very more modern um, it'd be like a chain, uh, chain with like a ring on it, mm-hmm. but the ring was not, it was it almost looked like a wedding band, but it was like circle with a corner on it came around and yep. then I had that, but it was on like a chain and they did bracelets and all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Clocks and colors was kind of like more biker right. medieval side of things, yeah. which was kind of like, but it was all handmade stuff, handmade right. jewelry. Cool. Um, yeah. And they did really well. I want to talk to Fee about doing some kind of leather bracelet. Like you could almost do the chain that I gave you yeah. on a leather band. Like a few people have asked about that. I think that'd be kind of a cool thing to yeah, I think talk doing, to Fee about. Yeah, doing collaborations like that. Because we, we were we were talking about it earlier before we started this podcast. Uh, the fly wallet that we had, it's kind of on the shelf right now um, for hopefully do it in the future but um yeah i've been trying to think of ways to collaborate with different people like v and 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 for those of you also wondering who the hell v is he's a, a leatherworks guy out of sydney so fee's original goods on instagram just google it you'll find him very good stuff i bought a couple christmas christmas mm-hmm. presents from him but yeah we did uh yeah we had fun on that project and trying to uh, i i think right now there's a huge huge push more so than ever for kind of like realizing what's here locally and mm-hmm. i mean we're just younger kind of doing it in a different way and bring it on to social media but there's um there's like uh what's the guy's name in northern cape breton leatherworks guy um oh i know what you mean but i don't know the name but there is there's yeah, a lot of yeah. they've been around forever and they mm-hmm. do really quality work but yeah. it's just the the younger generation coming and using um mm-hmm. social media to try to market their, yeah. their it product. seems like there's a lot of people popping up like it's inspiring really like there's young people living in the middle of nowhere that are doing really cool stuff. Yeah. But you can, cause you just yeah. drop it off at the post office. Yeah. So do you get most of your clientele from Instagram? Yeah. Probably 98%. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and a vast majority is from Colorado, Yeah, it's Colorado, crazy. Montana. I think there's just a lot of women who fly fish that are there yeah. and they just, for whatever reason, resonate with my lifestyle, probably cause it matches theirs and, yeah, that's where it all goes to. Some people, there is quite a bit from Nova Scotia, which is nice, but yeah. for the most part, I'm sending it to the most redonkulous places. Like I sent a batch out to Hawaii, Denmark, New Zealand, all these different countries. It's it's really cool. And do you have like, are you just posting on Instagram? That's it. Or are you doing like targeted ads anywhere? I don't do targeted ads. I probably should. Yeah, but um, it all depends. I mean, but your yeah. your stuff. So like your products right now are selling, right? Mm-hmm. They are not as fast as I would hope. Like there's a lot of people that make small batches and then as soon as they list it, it's gone. Like it sells out super fast, but I'm also need to just be like gentle with myself because I just started it. So yeah. I don't know. But that's at that's, some point it'll happen. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's happened into the whole thing about, um, it's kind of like the same mentality. We did these, these concerts years ago that were like in a warehouse in Dartmouth and we just made it seem exclusive. Yeah. But it's the same thing with like, say we just talked about the knife, um, custom knife guys. There's a mm-hmm. bunch of them the same way. Mm-hmm. Like if you go to a lot of those websites, um, there's another one, there's one by run by um, a couple of Navy SEALs. Uh, what is that called? Half Ace Blades. I believe that's in the States. Uh, there's another one, Hazen, Hazen Blades. He's in Ireland. Uh, there's a bunch of guys that I follow. Um, 
and they do the same deal email list. And once right. that gets listed, like the Hazen Blade guy, one knife, 2500 US. Wow. It's a beautiful knife. Whether or not I'd spend $2,500 on a knife, I, yeah. I mean, it all depends. Yeah. <laughs> it all really depends. Um, but uh, yeah, that's it, it's, it's crazy. But creating that idea that it's like, it's not available all the time. So that yeah. almost creates a little bit of, it's all psychology and that, that avenue of marketing. But yeah. And you have to go a certain way. It's not like, you know, we're just going to have a website ready to go all the time because mm-hmm. it's like anybody can access. It's just trying yeah. to create that exclusivity. Yeah, like for sure. Idea. Like do like a small batch, advertise it. And that does help. Like even when I listed the margarine necklaces, like they did sell, um, there's one left and that's pretty successful. I think like it's just kind of making the hype up until, all right, now they're ready. And then the next batch will come in two months or in two weeks or whatever amount of time. It kind of makes people feel like, oh, I have to get it now. And then <laughs> I'll never get it again. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. Creating exclusivity. Yeah. It's awesome. But yeah, bringing your stuff to market, man. And if you, uh, have you ever attempted doing any of the ads? No. It's kind of a, cause I don't know anything about yeah, it. Yeah. It is a rabbit hole. So trust me on this and everybody listening, if there's anybody listening, um, it is an absolute <laughs> rabbit hole because you start going down. Like we were talking before we started recording about like website SEO stuff. Right. Mm. So, um, even that, like that whole avenue, the targeted ad stuff is such a racket there's like a very entry level way of doing it where you can you know you can just post and target people in halifax between certain age group yeah and you just target them but then you can really get into it where you create a strategy and it's a whole like for instance posting a video so i would post say uh like a 30 second video of like hiking in fucking cape Ran or whatever mm-hmm. right so but then i can use and target say Everybody in Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, Prince Edward Island, the East Coast, right? Because we're in the East Coast bubble. So what I, my goal is that I'm going to try to market somebody uh, that's going to come down to Cape Breton and in the end camp here or go tubing or go paddleboard with Jeremy or go fishing with Jimmy or whatever. Yeah. But um, so that video will play. I'll pay for an ad. I'm not necessarily paying to cash out and generate sales from that ads, but the people that actually watch that video or watch like taste say 10 seconds of that video mm-hmm. are interested in that. So then right. that boils down that whole, like, you know, millions of people or whatever into a different group. And then I can retarget that group. Right. It makes sense. Yeah. And yeah. then you're boiling down to converting a sale or getting something to book or whatever it mm-hmm. is that you want. So you're kind of like indirectly just posting videos. If they're interested in watching it, you know, the, that is that they're probably going to be interested in camping or whatever. Yeah. And then you can kind of boil it down from there. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's like, trust me, it's a rabbit. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. It's an absolute goddamn like jungle. It's like money to be spent on ads and money to be made from them too. Yeah. So. But you can like, and then, and, the, and the thing is too, it's all about your approach. You don't really have to be like, you could market your brand by just doing like little videos that isn't necessarily selling your product, yeah. but it's indirectly selling your product. Yeah, it's for sure. Because I find a lot of my brand too is is not just like if, if you looked at my Instagram and it was just pictures of rings the whole and on every square. I don't think it would sell the same way. Yeah. Like I think people see it and they're like, oh, this person lives in rural Cape Breton and they do all this and they fish and it's like the whole almost buying that lifestyle and they can kind of see themselves either like in the same shoes or resonating with that. It's kind yeah. of interesting. Huh? Yeah. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it is so crazy. It's ridiculous. But yeah, it's all about trying to like, I I'm very conscious about 
or I guess conscious about it, but trying to be aware, like we're this year trying to really push like clothing as far as our brand, Love Life Enhance, mm-hmm. but also trying to, uh, trying to encompass everything into a one brand. It's very hard and trying mm-hmm. to keep that concise. Yeah. I actually struggle with that too. I th- sometimes I think like, is my brand confusing where there's like jewelry and then there's fishing and like, what's the relation between the two? I, I like think, should I have a separate fishing business and then a separate jewelry business? I don't know. Or is it like, does it work together? I'm, but you're, se- yeah, but you're selling you. That's the thing. It's like, you're marketing you mm-hmm. and that's, that's, you're you. Right, yeah. that's, that's what you're doing. Cause I yeah. have the same idea and then, you know, bring it back to the old throwing board, the dartboard, Jimmy, mm-hmm. it's just like, yeah, that brand is what it's, yeah. that brand is you. So you're doing this, you're selling. Yeah. It's it. true. Yeah. yeah. So that's Cause kinda- I, when I asked him, I was like, are you wearing your necklace because <laughs> it was free and I like gave it to you or because you actually think it was cool. And he said like, I both like he likes it, but he also, that reminds him of his job as a fishing guide. It reminds him of the times that we went fishing together and like where I've come from the last three years that we've known each other. Yeah. So there's kind of a sentimental and like the lifestyle part of it is, is me and him and whatever brands that we each have and the lifestyle that we each live. Yeah. And he resonates with that. And I resonate with that with him because we are both guys. We both love fishing. So it is, you're right. It is more than just what's your business name. It's like, uh, who is the brand? Yeah. So. And this is how you're attracting the clients from a province. that have no clue who you are because they, yeah. they relate to what your, your lifestyle and your, what you're selling yeah. to that site. But yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's all about like, as far as like marketing and selling a business, I find it's less about actually selling a product, but also selling a feeling and a relationship mm-hmm. and a story and yeah. a story. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like what we did, we grew up around here doing all the stuff that we now do now as a business. But mm-hmm. did I ever think that I was going to do as a business? No, I just mm-hmm. thought I was just going to keep doing this shit. So and like, then, when did you start this and like, how did you end up taking the plunge to just this? go for it? Yeah. Uh, when was it? It was, 2016, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it was. To, I took a year off. So um, I worked offshore. For those of you that are listening that didn't know. Um, yeah. So I worked offshore diving and there was a recession in like 2016-ish with in the oil and gas. Mm-hmm. And I was only in that industry. Um, I was only in that industry to make like quick money. But then mm-hmm. I got caught up in the lifestyle of the industry. Yeah. And... Then we were in a, this is like the second recession I went in with oil and gas. So I'd bought this house the year prior, which is uh, our Live Life and Heads headquarters. And so I moved home to gut it. So I was living in this house in the room upstairs with like U-Haul moving blankets <laughs> stapled to the walls with um, I had Wi-Fi. Uh, I had power here with Wi-Fi. I had no toilet, uh, no heat, no insulation. And I like staple things to the wall had as I was sleeping on a couch and then I had a music studio and a hot plate and a coffee maker. And that's what I did. So I wait. Yeah. So I decided to move into Halifax, move home, okay. fix the house up all winter. Uh, I did have my parents' place, which is 10 minutes down the road. So if I needed to shower, yeah. I can go there. But for the most part, I woke up every day, did work on the house. Um, and then at night I would do music. So I'd go upstairs and do music until mm-hmm. like, you know, the wee hours in the morning. That was it. And I'd sleep, wake up and do it again. Yeah. So I took a year off trying to figure out what to do. And then, um, in the spring we were, so that there was no plan of anything. And mm-hmm. then in the spring we were just hanging out. We had a weekend, a uh, long weekend in May and 
we had my friends down. We we're planning at the end of the weekend. He wanted to go on a trip with his girlfriend. So we planned my brother and my dad and, and I at brunch planned out a trip for him. And then like a week later, he messaged me. He's like, you should do this a business. It's like, oh yeah. Making a link between people that don't know what the hell they're doing on Cape Breton mm-hmm. and kind of like curating experiences. I'm like, yeah. huh, like maybe I'll do that. And then we ended up like, this is like May. So by the end of June, I had the branding, the website and everything done. And then I got a call and it went offshore. So I was gone and we launched at the end of the summer. And it was kind of just like on a whim. My brother was like, yeah, I want to be involved in this. And then we yeah. just kind of like did it. And then it was more or less being a, we were trying to be a, um, like a marketing entity and like kind of like an Expedia for adventure tourism mm-hmm. for Cape right now. That was the plan. And then it just wasn't feasible as a business. Right. And then we just started adding different things. It's like, you know, we need, there's nothing to do in Marguerite. That'd be really good. There's a lot of accommodations, but nothing to do for like, general public here Mm -hmm. there's like the lakes the go-karts the bumper boats which i don't know if they have anymore mini putt or the beach and that was it yeah and so uh at that time jeremy was starting cape Brown west paddle boards so that was off the table paddle boards or kayaks because he was doing them and then my brother just pitched an idea of doing like like what about tubing we've done that since we were little kids Mm -hmm. and that was that i bought 20 tubes and uh we'd go up the river at Brookpool and pump them up in the field every morning like 20 of them by hand and i uh, hope that somebody would book them that day and then that's yeah. how it like started and then campground and then we started adding things on cool that's so kind of that happened and then i just did a lot of marketing stuff so like a lot of weird and like i said before like instead of um directly marketing people to what we were we were kind of indirectly marketing them by doing like creative weekend stuff doing um you know using basically a local creatives and instagram to kind of market the idea of what we're doing and yeah. the feeling and that sort of stuff. So is that like marketed towards international or did you go local right from the get go? Or like, was that or before we started talking on recording, it was, we were talking about like <laughs> how you, how you marketed specifically to locals. Like, was that a COVID thing or was that something you did from the very beginning? Beginning. Yeah. Yeah. We're trying That's to figure smart. Yeah. We're trying to figure out something that locals would be attainable for locals to do. Um, and I wanted to, so my inspiration when I started, so when we started, it was more or less just like, we're going to make this travel agency for venture tourism in Cape Breton. And then, uh, when I started looking at what would be possible here, um, you know, I had a friend that ran a hostel in Nicaragua. So I was spending a little bit of time down there and I'm like looking at these like backpacker hostels and hostels and like stuff. I stayed in London and Holland and Scotland and stuff. And I'm like, fuck, we could be doing something like that here. The backpacker culture, we have the hiking here. We have like different things. There's a lot of things that need to happen as far as like transportation infrastructure and stuff like yeah. that. But, um, for the most part, um, we could, definitely develop that here and there's nothing and there's nothing for that type of market that people want when you talk about a campground or hostel where it's not an rv park that Mm -hmm. was like the biggest thing that i just didn't want to it's like a campground when people think campground they're like oh you have a campground i'm like yeah "Yeah." they're like oh we have a trailer i'm like well you're not allowed (laughs) no campers but yeah so that idea and like that was the inspiration for kind of like looking forward like how do we create this like community of backpackers and create this concept of like more low budget stuff, mm-hmm. but also we have some, you know, higher budget stuff, but I think that's smart. Cause like, I see it as like an eco village more than a campground. Yeah. Like I wouldn't normally go book a campground, but I would stay here. Interesting. Like I feel like it's more, 
Well, yeah, yeah. It's, and, and this year was just the, the, the loop it threw us because I was every year people that stayed here like the first year we started it was literally like the bare minimum. It was like mm-hmm. here's where you camp. That's yeah. it. Here's a shower bag. Like used to have like a solar bag that you had to heat up, and if it, yeah. obviously if it wasn't hot, yeah. So now we actually have like heated shower, but everything's like low impact. It's all propane, uh, gravity fed water system. Outhouses are very simple, clean. Um, outdoor like cleaning spot. It was supposed to be an outdoor whole outdoor kitchen, mm-hmm. like two sides to it underneath the shelter in the middle of the field. So if you wanted to cook, you have your fire pits, but you can come down here and there's like barbecues, grills, all that shit. You can use charcoal and fire mm. it up and then all like we'd have like pots, pans and tongs, everything everywhere. Yeah. But it'd be a communal cook space. But obviously this year we didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to build that sort of stuff uh, out of it. But yeah, it was mostly trying to build something that was marketed for locals, for locals to use, especially like tubing was like, you know, I think the first year we did it like 25 bucks. And mm. then as we grew, I'm like, okay, well now it's like $30, but it's still like 30 bucks and you get like two, two and a half hours by the yeah. time you're done. So most people come down it. Like I get in a run of a year. Sometimes there's like families that come down four or five times. Yeah. I was going to say, and it's like <laughs> something that anybody can do. It's not like families, couples, whatever. Like it's easy. It's That's easy a plus and a minus. <laughs> there's a plus and a minus sometimes, but you know, overall it's pretty much pretty yeah. good. Yeah. It's like when you go to like what Jeremy's doing with the paddle boards and kayaks that automatically wipes out like a whole whole section of population because yeah. they're not want, they mm-hmm. think paddle boards and they're like I'm going to flip. Yeah. Do do old crusty <laughs> fishermen get mad when they see a bunch of tubers come down and go uh, through there? Probably <laughs> once in a while but not really like if we do a section that's like very we're doing like basically brook pool down and there's not that many people down to Doyle's and for people that know the river there's like during noon to 3 or 4 p.m. there's not many people. There's a couple of people that don't know that we're doing that run that mm-hmm. are from here that maybe come down on holiday and they're just fishing for the first time. And yeah. Doyle's is a very accessible spot. So yeah. they're always there and they don't understand. And like we start the run and like, yeah. guys, there's probably like a hundred people coming down. Yeah. It's like us. And then there's all the locals that are coming down today. Yeah. So you probably want to go fish somewhere else <laughs> <laughs> and for the next five hours. Yeah. But Honestly. other than that, yeah, not really. No, no, yeah. I don't think so. That's good. I don't know. Maybe there's some shit talk probably, but you know, summer's on the river. I've never seen a tuber on the river. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's only like that whole side. Like I said, there's not many people that fish that section. Mm, no. At all. Yeah. But, but that's about it. Yeah. But other than that, no, it's been uh, it's been a fun run. So we're just continually doing it. And that's the only section that we'll do on the river. But you can also do other sections, which mm-hmm. are fun. But mm-hmm. it's just a little less safe, I guess, for the rest of it. Right. But, yeah. I don't know. We try to do other rivers, but they're not good. They all dry up. Yeah, that's the thing. They all get low. I know Parks yeah. Canada did one. Um, what did Parks do? They did Clyburn in Inganish. So they tried to do a tubing thing there years ago. And uh, it's, yeah, it's Too like, low. yeah, by the time it like July hits, it's just like you're walking half the time, which happened here. But, you know. And you had to, did you have to stop it this year with the conditions here? It was almost, low this past year. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. It got really warm, really slow, really low. We had no rain for, what, a month and a half? Something mm-hmm. like that? Yeah. But no yeah. one was fishing. No one was really doing anything. Yeah. You just had people attacking everybody online. Yeah. Some people were fishing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The people that were, were getting yeah. attacked. Some people were home crying because <laughs> they were getting ripped apart. But. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, yeah, because yeah. that's like, I mean, we can dip into that for people, educate people. Because I find like, so 
the people that I see, and especially here in Cape Breton Island, there's so many people that don't know. Um, like even me growing up here, I didn't really know the ins and outs of, even though I grew up within this hole and I fished when I was a kid, but I hadn't fished in like 15 years. And then I came back and then I'm getting to know everybody and then I'm kind of getting back into it again and knocking the rust off like all my old gear, which mostly had holes in it, like moth holes, like, <laughs> like, or stuff was used or missing or there's one boot here, one boot there. So, but when people come down and they're talking about the river and, and they're like, oh, you know, I didn't see any fishermen today. I'm like, well, yeah, it's because the water is extremely yeah. warm. They're like, what do you mean? Yeah. And like, what do you? have you had to like run in people and educate them on this? Like I find like a lot of people in Cape Breton are not oblivious, but just uneducated about stuff that's happening Yeah, just here locally. Yeah. I find like I, I had a few people try to book in the summer when it was like dead hot. And I said, you know, I don't really think we should do it. Like yeah. it, we could, but as a guide, like, is that really the right thing? But then it turns into, I can see where people get themselves in trouble because if, if I did guiding as my full-time gig, I'm probably going to want to take them because yeah. I need money, but you have to be able to kind of think, is this ethical? Is this, I don't know, is someone going to leave a bad review on my website if they see me out guiding someone when it's 30 degrees and through the water's up to my ankles? Probably. <laughs> yeah. And for everybody, for people listening though, what, so I guess people, some people listening will know what you're talking about, but other yeah. people won't. So yeah. warm water, right. why is it not ethical to fish? Yeah. You shouldn't fish hot water, warm water, because it just places so much more strain on the fish. So when you fight them in the, it's that hot, they are so tired and exhausted. They're exhausted from just surviving in the river on their own, but add playing them, putting them in the net, grabbing onto them and trying to take a picture. It, you know, if that's what you're into, like it, it's likely that the fish won't survive. So it turns into kind of an ethical battle of like, what is, what temperature should you just say like, okay, well, we're just gonna, we're just gonna stop. <laughs> but it's, it's kind of what you feel. Are, are other people going out? Yeah. If there's river closures in the Marguerite, yes. so like after a certain temperature, they will shut it down. And I think it has to be at a set temperature for two weeks and then it'll close most of the river. So there are protocols in place, but I thought it was low. I thought it was less than that. I thought it was, it was a consistent temperature for like a couple oh, days. It, it is. It, yes. I think it might be 72 hours. I should know this. Yeah. 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 But yeah. well, so should yeah. I, yeah. but there is, a, there's a time limit. So if it's over uh, a certain temperature for X amount of time, they'll shut yeah, down. They'll shut it down. Yeah. yeah. But it seems like Marguerite is the only place where that happens. I don't know if it's because it's a really popular river, but I never have seen shutdowns in an, any of the other rivers from temperature. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I, I have no education on that. Yeah. So I'm not educated in any of that <laughs> stuff. Cause I'm like in the summertime, I don't, I'll hear what people, cause I'm not, <clears throat> that's the thing. You only have so much bandwidth. So I'm yeah. not like, I am. Like Can I a, float my tubes or not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or what's happening today? What am I yeah. eating for lunch? Yeah. Let me get through today yeah. and then I'll sleep. Yeah. Let me have that drink and then we'll mm. calm down at the end of the day. But yeah, so that, that happened this summer. So that mm. happened two years ago. We didn't get shut down last year, but this year it was almost a month. Mm. So yeah. And it was extremely, extremely, extremely low because yeah. people and the water was ridiculously low. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was the lowest that I've ever seen it. And I've, and there's been, I've seen anglers on the river that have been around for way longer than I have saying like, this is the lowest I've ever seen it. And like, that's pretty scary. Yeah. Yeah. We were, um, people were saying that in tubes 
And uh, I was like, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it gets down there this time of year sometimes, yeah. you know. Are we supposed to portage our <laughs> <laughs> I was just kind of like, yeah, you just have to paddle out into the current where all the water's at. You know, you just could skim over those rocks. Yeah. Then I actually like went down. <laughs> I got so many people making that comment that I actually went down the kayak. And I was yeah. like, holy, holy fuck. crap. Yeah. This is low. And yeah. then I've contemplated shutting everything down if we didn't get any rain. And then we yeah. got a little bit and, and mm-hmm. it bounced back a bit. But, but yeah. But I mean, there, that's, that's one of the biggest things over the last couple of years. And there was so much fighting on the online community and within people about people that were still fishing. Yeah. Um, people attacking one another online mm-hmm. about this because there, a lot of other people were, from what I, I heard, I didn't get into any of the dumpster fires on yeah, Facebook, but yeah, yeah. it was more or less like people attacking people that had the, the belief that it should have been shut down a lot earlier yeah. uh, than it was, but people were still yeah. fishing. And to your point, a lot of people just don't know. Yeah. Like if you're new to it, you don't know that. So Listen, there's, yeah. there's, there's people that I see it down at like um, a couple of the pools in the river when we're doing tubing. There are people just real fishing <laughs> and they're from like there's license plate, not so much this summer because this summer was uh, locals, but mm-hmm. the summer before, a lot of people from the States that yeah. had no clue. They're yeah. just like pulling over the side of the road to yeah. fish. Like, you know, you can't do that here. And I'm, you know, I run into DFO once in a while and they're doing the tour, running around and yeah. ask them how many times they, they, they said it's common. So yeah. common because a lot is. of people aren't educated on it. Yeah. And it, it kind of, the province gives off the vibe that come to Nova Scotia, you can fish anywhere. And cause we don't have to hire a guide if you're out of province. Yeah. But that, I, that's kind of why I think in certain rivers, like I think in Marguerite and a couple of other salmon rivers, if you're out of province or if you're out of country or province, I think you should be required to hire a guide because then you avoid those kind of situations. Yeah. True. Yeah. Maybe. But good luck trying to pass yeah, that. Yeah, I'm not going to try. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> says the guide who just wants people to come fuck me. <laughs> yeah. And there's so many other things like people are not um, educated on. So I guess we'll jump into it. DFO has made a, um, a what was it, announcement that they may, listen, you, you, I'm butchering <laughs> this thing. They, they made an announcement that they're considering listing Atlantic salmon and striped bass as endangered. And... There we go. This is the beer. This one there's beer. There's more. Oh, there's is more there? growler out there. Some. Yeah, grab some. This this topic could warrant another <laughs> another drink. But essentially, what's happening is the DFO is is considering listing Atlantic salmon and striped bass to be an endangered. So Cape Breton Island is cut into two two designate designatable units, and Marguerite and West is in one designatable unit, and then Marguerite East is in another designatable unit called Eastern Cape Breton. Eastern Cape Breton is what's on the table for an endangered listing. Yeah. So everybody has a lot of different opinions about it. That's all well and good, but I feel like there needs to be kind of a little bit more conversation around why this could be potentially threatening to the species. And, you know, like everybody has the same goal. Like everybody wants to see salmon be plentiful and come back to some, to some degree. I don't know how realistic that is. I, I hope it's realistic, but the, the current structure that they have in doing that, in my opinion, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And it's because the DFO, if, and this isn't an attack on the DFO by any means, because I realize that like government organizations they are so limited to budgets and time and men on the ground that 
you have to give a little bit of sympathy in terms of like, what can they actually accomplish yes. given their, given all the other things that are on their plate. So I do, I do understand that, but under, under the act that would come into place if they were listed, which is the species at risk act, essentially what would happen is the government would be the prime organization or the only organization that would be allowed to approve and actually okay a restoration effort. So right now we have groups like um, probably the most primary player is the Unamagi Institute of Natural Resources. Yeah. They do a ton of work. And what's what would happen if this listing came in is that now the DFO needs to approve any work that they're doing. So it essentially creates a lot of red tape and approval processes that have to that have to be nailed down. Like they have to ensure that the science is or the the parties that are doing these efforts have their science down and that they have all the approvals in, in place before anything happens. And my concern, and I think a lot of other people's concerns, are that the DFO was sued recently for inaction on this exact topic. Yes. So an independent organization did an assessment. They said, Eastern Cape Breton, you need to look at Atlantic Salmon and Striped Bass. The file sat on their desk and nothing ever happened. And then all of a sudden they get sued for doing nothing about a problem that they, that they knew was there. And I agree, the problem is there and it has to be addressed. But if you leave it in the hands of someone like the government and one organization who historically haven't made that a priority, what is going to change now? So that is kind of where my concern lies. And the other part of it, too, is that the science isn't really there. Like the, the data hasn't been proven. The designatable units seem to be split in a weird way in that like Marguerite wouldn't be listed, but yeah. Middle River and Bedeck River would. So how... like. It seems that Middle River and Bedeck are closer in geology and the makeup to Marguerite than to a river like Eastern Cape Breton, like Grand River. Yeah. So and it's all about... And to specify, to, to break it down even further, they're, mm -hmm. they're all fed from... So Marguerite is fed from the highlands, mm -hmm. uh, the watershed, and all the springs, everything that's fed from the highlands is the same that feeds Bedeck, Middle, North, Aspie, mm -hmm. all the rivers around yeah. the Cape Breton Highlands. So it's really to compare... To, to put all of the rivers in Eastern in that unit doesn't make sense. But, you know, I don't know if how much, how much, like, how we could say that, or I don't know how to explain it. Like, how could the argument be made to say that the de designatable unit should be changed? I don't know, like, how much power is there to change that yeah. or to, you know, be vocal about other things. I'm, I'm not sure, but... Yeah. It just seems like, based on history, and if, if you look at like Bay of Funday, the listing of like a Sarah designation just doesn't seem to be the right thing. And like, there's been no species under the Sarah listing that have actually improved. So that's why everybody, specifically anglers who care very yeah. much, and all these different groups, you know, Unamagi Institute of Natural Resources, you have different river organizations are mm -hmm. are feeling maybe is this the right move? I don't, I don't know. Like I'm not around the table for all the conversations, but yes. it just seems like, I don't know. Does it, does it make sense? Yeah. There's a lot of, um, a lot of opinions for one. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and like I got contacted about this, um, I'm way back from, from BC a couple of weeks ago and I've been kind of reading up on it a little more. Um, 
just on different things related with with this decision if it goes through and just trying to make my decision up on where I stand on it, which is now it's it's on the sides. I mean, with with same side as that you're on and a lot of the anglers, a lot of the people that are here. Um, am I in as much of a avid angler? No, but mm-hmm. I live on the river and I understand um, what from from what I've read, and I mean that mm-hmm. that all that all can all be swayed. But I agree. Was, yeah. When I get when I got contacted uh, from a couple of mutual friends about this, um, you know, they were just look asking me to if I wanted to be involved and kind of helping to push it on social media and stuff. And I kind of wanted to do a little bit more due diligence on my part so mm-hmm. I can make my my decision up on my end. Mm-hmm. And from what I've found online is that <clears throat> in in the end, it's pretty much about conservation of of the species and. Um, and necessarily closing this rivers. And that was the biggest thing. It's like, okay, well, wait a minute. You guys are wanting to keep them open. That was mm-hmm. my first, for sure. First question. It was, was my thought too. Yeah. You know, I, I've, every average Joe out there that doesn't fish and doesn't live, you know, in Margarita, like you or fish all the time. Like I do would think you're just self-interested because you're a guide and you make fishing jewelry. If this shuts down, then you lose your exactly. passion. Yeah. So I see why that argument seems very, self-interested i know it's yeah. a little it seems selfish but yeah. once you start peeling it back yes uh, a little bit further and look at what's going on right now with with uh, the mainland moose and and then also um i was brought to light the issues with um uh, sarah designated na- nation that happened i think earlier this year uh for turtles uh, here in nova scotia but we're talking about the salmon here and what yeah. designation does so essentially like a lot of the work and this is where like when i made a post about it this week on our channel mm-hmm. is more or less about um less about taking a stance even though we have our, our i have my opinion on what side i'm on mm-hmm. But also making uh, available some information. So I was trying to gather all the information that I've read, put it in a spreadsheet or a Google Doc with links. Like this is how, if you guys are for or against, this is how you can, you know, contact your MLAs. This yeah. is how you can, you know, contact DFO. Blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. These are all the links with a lot of the literature. This is like the Sarah Act. This is the sec. Like all make yeah. it really accessible for people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that's the main section. It's like, okay, well, if this becomes, um, if they become endangered, those rivers are closed to one angling, but also uh, limit. And st- they, for one, I would assume that they stop all uh, conservation efforts that are ongoing until they are approved. Yeah. And God knows when those are going to be approved. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't stop everything, but it, it, like you said, it just creates, it's like trying to get anything approved, right? It, there's hoops you got to jump through and if it's not a priority, yeah. and it, it wasn't it, a priority in the last 10 years, why would it be now? Exactly. Well, it's because they're trying to show face because the government yeah. lost a, a, a lawsuit in the spring. Yeah. 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 And <laughs> I, I think the other big part of this argument is, and again, I'm not sitting around the table with the DFO making these decisions, but when someone publicly sues an organization like the DFO, what is the easier battle to pick? Do you shut down angling, which would make everyone happy? And like we were just talking about- yes. The ang- people think anglers are the problem. So you could either do that or you could go to the root of the reason, which is commercial bycatch, pollution, ocean acidification, poor clear cutting practices, yeah. which are all corporations which make the government money. Exactly. So what's an easier battle? It right? all depends on what rabbit yeah. hole you want to go down yeah. on that one. Biggest hurdle that I found when discussing this with other groups and other people that yeah. took a stance on it was how are you going to make the general public that don't even know, trust me, people don't even know that Margaret River 
and that we're, this this decision doesn't include Mercury River, but mm-hmm. what I'm using as a reference is that people that I put on the river tubing, paddleboard, and kayaking have no clue, and they are from Cape Breton, have yeah. no clue that it's catch and release yeah. here. Not a clue. And it doesn't impact the Mercury River, or it doesn't, like the designation wouldn't directly impact Mercury River, but it would because then all the people who are yes. angling in other rivers are going to be hitting Mercury. Yeah. So there's and other. And then rinse, repeat. Yeah, exactly. So there's more stress put on Mercury River and all the efforts happening here. But there's also. Um, there's also other arguments within that equation. That is the main, main focus of Mm -hmm. it. But then the other arguments are, you know, economical too. So you've got like a lot of businesses that are, so geographically here in, in Cape Breton, a lot of people come down the Marguerite, which is kind of like the main river, the fish, but middle, Badak, then you got North River and that whole section. So everybody can spend more time. You got more places to fish. You have more time down here. You're spending more money in the economy. You're staying normally everybody's staying at cottages, camping, Mm -hmm. our place, camping. There's guys that come here for two weeks, camp out. They're they're here two weeks and they just go fish every day all around. They're up in the Highlands, Bedak, Middle, over here, like, you know, anywheres. Yeah. So you got people spending money in the economy. So once you start moving all those rivers, less things for people to do. That means less time people are spending here. Mm -hmm. So it's less money that they're going to spend in the economy. And what's to say that, you know, they make this decision... Uh, and this is another going down another rabbit hole. Yeah. It's like, what if they make that decision? Next thing, Marguerite's up next. Yeah. And I mean, the main argument is yes. Number one, conservation thing is conservation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there is so many other factors that factor in this equation. And I wonder if, if, um, I mean, I would like to think that all those were taken into consideration when making this decision. But who knows if they were? Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. And I know from talking to other people that um, other, like, you know, Aspie River was closed because of budgets, not because of low stock of salmon. Yeah. It was a budget decision, mm-hmm. which got roped into all the other decisions. But I oh, know. Yeah. So there's a lot of different factors in play yeah. here. But uh, so that's kind of like the biggest thing that's been happening now. And um, so, though, for people that are listening, if you want to read up more about it, we put a link in our Instagram bio. So you just click the main link. There's a ton of links that are in there. Uh, you can also go to uh, Goy's. Joy is fuck. Lee. God damn. I thought you were doing it as a joke. But you actually did it. I did it. No, because I say it all the time and Jimmy cracks me and then I fuck. Jimmy spells it wrong all the time, but he's getting better. Yeah. So no but yeah. So that's 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 one of the biggest issues. But if you want to read up more about it, there's more online. Actually, like when I was doing research on it, trying to find any information, it was kind of hard yeah, to find some information. It is, fine. On it. it is hard to find, and I think maybe that's not by mistake. I don't think it's by mistake. <laughs> Plus we're in, you know, we're, we're going in this sort of a recession depending on who you talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody's tightening their budgets. Yeah. That's it. It's like this big decision being made. So it's more of an optic thing uh, that, Hey, we're, we're for conservation on this stuff. But realistically, I think my opinion is yeah. that it's more about a budget yeah. play. It's more about saving money for the government. We're going to tighten our belts. Um, we're going into a recession. We're going to save money. That's mm-hmm. my angle on it. That's mine too. I mean, I just, I researched it a lot, talked to a lot of people. Probably much more than I did. Yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the thing. It's like, I get, I get so many um, messages and emails from people like, Hey, Hey, where do you stand? We want to talk about it. I'm talking to people Mm -hmm. about it, but you just got to take the time. There's so many other things that I'm trying to think and and do at the same time. So, um, yeah. And that, you know, it's just one of those other things you got to spend the time to actually do the research to have an opinion on it. Yeah. And, and like whatever your opinion is, and that's for anyone listening, like whatever your opinion is, it doesn't matter. Like it's fine with me. You're entitled to have whatever opinion you want, but please just research it. Just make your own mind versus 
following suit of what the flavor of the week is on social media and you know it it's important to just like have a basis for that opinion yeah but you know what i found like through this whole thing trying to look up i found that all these crew and i don't know if it was you or deidre that i was talking to probably i think deidre but the uh nova scotia salmon association doesn't have any social channels at all so Mm -hmm. like all these these groups that are trying to help promote and and um, I mean, this is a wake up call because now they're all like called to arms. Like, how the fuck yeah. do we spread this word? But nobody's yeah. got any social channels set up. I know. I know. <laughs> it's <laughs> like sending emails out, which is a g- good way, but it's an archaic way of doing yeah, things. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Probably because I think it's a lot of older generation that are at the head of it. And- well, they never. And plus, you never needed to do anything. You never needed to change mm-hmm. and, and change with the times because yeah. it was, you know, up until shit, up until like four or five years ago when I started moving home and started doing things here. It was still an old guy game for the most yeah. part. And then over the last two or three years, I've seen a massive increase in younger anglers yeah. in and around Marguerite. Mm-hmm. Like, like I'm not like noticeably like massive mm-hmm. increase. For sure. And I, I think, see it too. Yeah. 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 Cause it was like shit when I was growing up, it was like an old man's game. Yeah. We were like little kids on the river casting flies. Yeah. I just fish trout most of the time. But like even when I first started fishing with my dad, I was like, terrified sometimes going out like i felt that to go to the marguerite i had to be so good at or like a certain level of being able to cast and like show that i actually knew what i was doing before i actually came here because it was like so no one would hesitate to tell you like where to go if you're like <laughs> holding them up or like, i don't know so it's funny because i've yeah. seen a few almost like fist fights but most part like for, especially from a guy that like i fish all growing up that's all i did Mm-hmm. every day uh so and the marguerite you've got red bank pool that brook i don't mm-hmm. even know what it's called that runs up behind my mom's house up behind my grandmother's house yeah. um which is right by red banks and like the whole brook i fish that thing up and down um up in the highlands all the time i wasn't so much into uh salmon fishing i did a little bit of it but it was mostly fly for trout mm-hmm. and I spent my entire childhood until I got a four-wheeler and then I got a four-wheeler and I started smoking weed. You didn't care about anything anymore. Didn't give a shit. I was drinking, yeah. smoking weed and partying <laughs> and then started DJing and then that was the end of that. So, yeah. um, but in the last couple of years moving home and getting to know some of the guides and meeting up with like Jimmy and then, mm-hmm. you know, meeting Connor and hanging out down here and then getting on the river a little bit more, I've like kind of slowly started to get back into it and then being on the river so this is like hooking, like I was, I don't know if it was the day I met you on the river, a dollar or not. I was down there with my friend Smitty and uh, I hooked up and it was a fucking massive salmon. I hooked up and, and ended up losing it because it breached, didn't dip the rod. And I had no clue about any of this shit. I was just like, what the fuck? And I'm fighting this thing for like 15 <laughs> minutes. And then I get down on the, uh, I, I like leave the pool, come back, sit down. And this, one of the guys, and I forget his name. I've seen him down there three or four different times. And he's like giving me pointers about what to do. And I'm like, fuck, yeah. I didn't even know that. But that was, yeah. you know, instead of being intimidated, yeah. that's kind of more, I find the more people being inclusive of it, unless yes. you're kind of a dick. Yeah, and you're just people like, are very nice. Like I've never really had a bad encounter here. I, for the most part, everyone's just like willing to help. So yeah, unless good. you're standing there not moving. That's the, that is like the, <laughs> so, the Marguerite shuffle is alive and well, just mm, do it. <laughs> yeah. So everybody listening so when you're salmon fishing here in the holes, you've got to like every cast, you're supposed to step a few yeah. steps and move. And it's a kind of a rotation. You get in a rotation through a pool. So it could take you, fuck, I've been down there like across the road yeah. and it took me about an hour to get like 
into the rotation. Yeah. It's just insane yeah. sometimes, Blade especially down there, especially this summer with seeing like all the, like some of the drone photos that I've seen from down there. Yeah. It's just like thousands of salmon in that yeah. pool. It's so cool. Did you see the, the drone footage that Jimmy took this summer on F works? It was pretty cool. Oh yeah. Yeah. With all the, really cool. You see all the salmon. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. That was right. Um, that was the day I ran into you. Because you're like, oh, yeah, Jimmy's down there. He's just, like, fucking around with the drone and drinking coffee. <laughs> He's, like, not even trying to fish. Hey, man, it's fun. But that's, that's the fun, like, like taking off from here, especially leaving, living here. Like, I just, like, growing up on the river. Like, growing up in Margaret, I never really fully appreciated it. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of hanging out. And then yeah. as you get older and then I've, you know, traveled a bit and worked away and come back. I'm like, yeah. I'm the same way. I appreciate it. Like in a new, like I see it through a different lens now. Shit. I wake, I wake up in the morning, some mornings and I'm like, before I would go out to like start everything up in the shop, I just walk across the road and I'm mm-hmm. just down the river and go fish in the river for a couple hours Yeah, and then come back. You're and like, then what did I do to deserve this life? It's hang awesome. up and yeah. yeah, that sort of stuff. So it's been fun. Yeah. It's been real fun. Like last couple of years and I hope it continues. But yeah, this is the biggest thing. Um, yeah, this the whole fly fishing or the uh, salmon. Sorry, not fly fishing. The endangered um, listing is has been a big thing the last couple of weeks. We so. just talked about this. It's not a fishing problem. <laughs> it's not us anglers. Fuck. We it's this beer. It's the beer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I come, I come into it with a whole different perspective. For sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just trying to to bridge those gaps. Fuck. Like if they showed me, if history showed, and there were statistics out there that this worked and that you know oh look in in this river we listed this species and now here the counts are way up or whatnot but no one can show anybody that so yeah that's i don't buy it the biggest thing is that i've i've not seen and i've been asking for it and maybe it's out there and i just can't find it yeah trying to find data like i'm getting sent pictures of uh i don't even i I have to look and see what kind of data it was Mm -hmm. um but all these conversations i have with people talking about the you know catch counts are down or yeah. whatever and then like the the counts of like actual fish in the river up above like above what is it spawning rate so i'm i'm like i said i'm completely new to any of this mm. stuff so all this terminology i have no clue what yeah. it means <laughs> i'm just looking for because yeah. i come into a different perspective all this stuff is getting thrown out so all this yeah. like data with names yeah. and they're like talking everybody's talking everybody knows what it means but I'm coming into it from a whole different perspective and I have no fucking clue what any yeah. of it means. And I'm asking people like, hey, give me the data so that yeah. a dummy can yeah. like see what. OK, so how many <clears throat> how many salmon do you need? How many in uh, wouldn't be catch counts? It's swim what, counts. Swim or, count, yeah. right? So how much do you need in X river to be deemed uh, healthy? Yeah. No one sent me any of that stuff. No. Nobody. And and what's does then, it what, exist? I don't and know. And what is yeah. the number? Yeah. Nobody sent that. Everybody's yeah. talking about how healthy it can be. And I believe them because I know that they're you know, that they know what they're talking about yeah. more than I do. But at the end of the day, I haven't seen any data yeah. like proof of like this is the numbers we need to reach. These are the current numbers. This is the upward trend from last three years. This is a downward trend for the last three years. Mm-hmm. I don't have any of that. And stuff. that's the thing too. It's like, uh, are, am I sitting here denying that it's a problem? No, like it's a problem. And if we had, if we had up-to-date information, I'm pretty sure it's not going to paint a much prettier picture than it did 10 years ago. It's probably a lot worse now than it is 10 years ago. Yeah. So it's like, what do we do from here to make this better? Is listing the species as endangered and, you know, creating all these loopholes and leaving this in the hands of the DFO is that the right move to make this better? I 
I don't know. I don't think. If there was a plan put, there, yeah. put forward, if there was an actual strategy put forward that this is what we're going to do. Yeah. But what happens if they list it and it gets put in place and then all those efforts are put on hold yeah. and it might be 10 years before anybody's allowed to do yeah. anything on them again. Yeah, then exactly. What, and then what happens if those populations dwindle? Mm-hmm. Then it gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And then the argument some people are saying is that like why if you consider yourself a steward or if you're an angler or you're a volunteer you know like whatever if, if you care about Atlantic salmon if you're not allowed to fish then why does that change the way you feel and I see I see that argument like yeah it, it shouldn't change regardless if we're allowed to fish or not but it's like we are angler we as anglers is who I'm speaking for is that I care about salmon as an angler because I have been, because that resource has brought me to like traveling a bunch of places, to meeting a bunch of people and living the lifestyle that I live now. But if you take that resource away or the ability to fish and the ability to create those like memories over time, people will start to not care. It's like, if you're like super into, I don't know what, like bird watching, and then you go out in the woods and you take pictures of, of the birds. And then all of a sudden you go back and it's been all clear cut and there's no birds around anymore then eventually you're going to stop caring because you're just going to feel defeated. Oh, some corporation came in and clear-cut all my trees, and now the thing that I love to do is not there anymore. It will affect the way you care because it's, it feels like it's you against all these big corporations, the government, that you can never fight that battle. So it, I think it's just a natural thing that over time, when you take away the ability to be close to that resource, you will eventually stop caring in the way that you once did yeah had you been able to like have that in your life all the time so yeah when people say like why does it change if you know like you're if you can fish or not like it will i'm not denying that (laughs) it will change like i love it because that's what i love to do and that's why i I care for it and i protect it and i want it to be there for future generations Mm -hmm. so I don't know. It's a sticky, <laughs> sticky situation. Tell everybody how to find get a hold of you. Yeah. You can find me on Instagram at metal and mayflies or my website is www.metalandmayflies.com. Yeah. We'll also put links in the bio of this podcast. That's it. But yeah. awesome. Thanks awesome. for coming in. Thank you. All right. See ya.